Hello there and welcome into this edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Initially, you will hear from Harold Earls, who is featured with his wife Rachel and their kids on Earls Family Vlogs on YouTube, an active duty Army officer who completed a climb up Mount Everest during his first year of marriage. You'll be getting a sense of his faith in Christ even through testing as you hear his comments. Plus, Brian Naren of Asian Children Education Fellowship experienced a trying time in his life recently, spending seven and a half months imprisoned in India after being arrested at an airport with thousands of dollars that were to be used to do Christian ministry, which apparently ran afoul of local authorities. Find out more about his story coming up. And you'll hear material from a conversation with Darren Spoo of First Baptist Church of Tulsa, who isolates a number of themes throughout the scriptures, including one word that describes each of them. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll learn more about the children's ministry known as Kids Beach Club with its founder, Jack Terrell, who shares about how it partners with churches to minister in schools. And he brings information about a summer program called Hang 10, through which children can grow in God's word. Then, Brian Gibson of his church with locations in Kentucky and Texas, who founded the Peaceably Gather Movement of Churches, shared about his own experience with attempting to reopen his church, as well as how the movement has continued to gain momentum. Finally, the legal organization Alliance Defending Freedom has been involved in defending churches who have unfortunately been restricted by government regulation that inhibits their freedom of religion. ADF has compiled a successful track record, and coming up, Ryan Tucker from the organization will examine some highlights. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Captain Harold Earls IV is an active-duty Army officer who serves as the commander of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. He is featured, along with his wife Rachel and their children, on the Earls Family Vlogs on YouTube, a channel with over a half million subscribers. Together, Harold and Rachel have written a book entitled A Higher Calling, Pursuing Love, Faith, and Mount Everest for a Greater Purpose, which explores highlights of their journey. Here now is Harold Earls. Yeah, so after <laughs> I, I wrote down, you know, on, on in my barracks room, the list of, of climbing Mount Everest in my bucket list, I remember just laying in bed that night and all I could do was thinking about it. And I was honestly kind of dreading the phone call to Rachel, because I didn't know how she would respond. I knew she was always supportive of me, but I mean, this was obviously, I'm from, I'm from Georgia. I'm a Georgia boy. I don't have any climbing experience. I'm not used to the cold. I'm not used to, you know, high peaks. And so I, I called her and I told her, and honestly, to my complete surprise, she was 100% on board. Um, and not only just like, hey, I'm going to be a supportive wife and just say, hey, go, I support you in following your dreams. She came alongside me and ran alongside me. And that was a beautiful thing to see. And honestly, that's where I grew a lot and learned a lot about love was the way, by the way in which she expressed that to me. Well, let's talk just a bit about the the climb itself. Tell me about some of the challenges that you endured and what it was like to finally reach the summit. Yeah, yeah I'll tell you. So I think something that I expected was the physical challenges. I can tell you hands on, it was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Um, we actually got hit with a really nasty storm on the way back down, um, which quite frankly was terrifying. Um, mm. but something I didn't really fully appreciate or understand, I, I think just because there's really no way to understand it until you get there is you expect the physical side, but what I didn't expect was the social and really the emotional impact that that would have on me and have on Rachel and I. And I, I, I tell you, I'll never forget 
I was right before we left to go to the summit, we were going to do our summit push. It's about 30 straight hours of climbing to push to the summit. And, um, we knew there was some, some weather, the weather looked like it'd be pretty good. But I, I remember sitting down on a rock and I decided that I would leave racial a message in the event that I didn't make it back down. And so I pulled out my audio recorder and, uh, I, I, I recorded a, a farewell message and, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is telling the love of my life who had been so supportive of me, you know, running the race alongside me, telling her goodbye, telling her, Hey, if I don't see you, you know, um, continue living your life, continue following your dreams. Hey, I know we didn't get to have a family together. Um, but I want you to find someone and have a family with them, right? Like that was an incredibly difficult thing. Um, and there were many moments like that. And so I know for me now that you, you mentioned that we have two kids and going back and listening to that and reading that, um, honestly, is, is this something that has really lasted with me? I think it gives you a perspective on life, at least for me, um, that I didn't have at 23 years old. You know, I think I grew a tremendous amount because of it. Harold, what role did your Christian faith have in making that decision to climb Everest? And how did this whole adventure strengthen your faith walk? Wow, what what a great question. Um, it's interesting. So if you look at my faith versus Rachel's, Rachel, I really admire her faith. She has such a rock-solid faith. It is so constant, um, always clinging to God. And you know, ashamedly on the time, at least with Everest, I treated my relationship with God as I would pursue him in times in which I thought that I needed him. And this, quite frankly, didn't become apparent to me until after I got back down off the mountain, many months after Everest. While I was on Everest, I, I knew that I needed God close to me rather than me realizing that I needed to be close to God. So I would, you know, worship him constantly. Um, but then as soon as I got back down off the mountain, um, I was like, Hey, I made it right. Um, and my relationship, you know, wavered with God. And so I, I honestly think that it was after some time I went to Rainer school about a month after, uh, coming back down from Everest and really just laying in the woods and thinking and, and praying is really when I started to realize that I had it all wrong. It's not about, you know, uh, realizing that, that I need God and that I want God close to me. It's about me trying to be close to God in all moments of my life, in the mundane moments of my life, in the moment that we're in right now. Uh, you know, with this pandemic going on, uh, it's always pursuing him. And I think that's a lesson that I learned on Everest. But quite frankly, it wasn't that I learned while I was on, mm -hmm. but the months after Everest. Harold Earls here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website earls.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Brian Naren of Asian Children Education Fellowship based in the U.S. in Shelbyville, Tennessee. In our recent conversation, he discussed his ordeal in India, having been arrested in an airport and held for over seven months for possessing thousands of dollars in ministry funds. He was released in May of 2020. Here now from that conversation is Brian Naren. The original agreement, which was all lies, was you're going to go to jail overnight. We're going to confiscate the money. Tomorrow you'll pay a fine. They'll give you the money back, and the three of you will be happy to go your merry way. Uh, my friends were allowed to leave and, and did come home, which I was thankful for. But it was seven and a half months for me to finally get home. Uh, it was all religious. It was a completely religious thing. The uh, ruling party of India right now, the uh, BJP, who Prime Minister Modi is the head of, uh, has made a very concerted effort to eliminate every Christian 
project everything Christianity they can in India and Muslim. They, they're they're a, a radical Hindu group that believes that anything other than Hinduism uh, needs to be stopped. In their words, and this came from one of the chief politicians in the area I was in, is he said, in the next two or three years, every Christian and every Muslim will be removed from India or eliminated. And I was causing them a problem. So that was, yeah. they, they told me a couple of weeks into my uh, incarceration, I was in prison for six days, got out on bail, uh, was under house arrest uh, to violate the bail, was automatic life in prison. And uh, they told me early on, we are going to send you to prison for three to five years. We're going to make an example of you for the world to see what we do to Christians who come to India trying to work with other Christians. Mm. And that was what I, that's what I worked against for seven and a half months to try to get free and come back home. I, I never broke a single law. I didn't break a rule. The amount of money we had uh, was not that much money. It, uh, we had, between the three of us, had $40,000. But by Indian law, I can take a million dollars to India as long as it's American currency with me. And I declare it, which I did declare what we had. And then 10000 is the legal amount, you know, that you can take without tariffs. Same as the United States. Anybody can bring a million dollars to the United States as long as they disclose the first 10000 has no tax or tariff, and you have to pay a tariff on the other. So I should have paid $200 and went on my merry way with our money, but that was not their plan. Their plan was to imprison me, make an example of me as a Christian, helping Christians. And then as that did not work, it became a, uh, a whole different outcome in the way it's in the media, the way they put it in their newspapers, the way they expressed it in the world, thanks. As I showed up in India with too much money, broke all the laws, and had to be punished. But that's not legally true. It's not constitutionally true for India. And uh, they just don't have to go by their own rules. Tell me about the impact on your faith in Christ during this entire ordeal. I, I've been traveling there for a long time. I did for six year, or four years of civil war with the Nepali Christians. I knew that I was going to a dangerous place. I was not prepared for what happened in India. I thought something like that could happen anytime in Nepal. Uh, but I knew for certain that God had given me this project to work on. He had told me very detailed how to do it. I was to buy a plane ticket, take the money that he helped me raise, and take it to the Christians and let it, the indigenous ministry grow. So I was very confident in that point. That I'm working for God. I'm doing this for God. It was one of the things that hurt my wife so much for, and that, you know, it really, really was tough on her. She's like, you're doing a good thing for people who need it with God, and God told you to do it. Why? And, I, you know, there were some dark moments. There were dark times when they were telling me I'm guaranteed going to prison for several years. But I kept believing in just that simple thing. God brought me here. God told me to come here. And I did. Tremendous amount of time on my hands. I, I would read a book of the Bible, and then I would go to YouTube and, and watch every movie that had ever been put out about that story of part of the Bible, whether it was Daniel or, or Paul or, or, you know, which character in the Bible I was reading. And I was able to identify with all of those people because every one of them suffered through something unbelievable for God. And then God rewarded uh, eventually. God's a little slow sometimes in the way we figure things. <laughs> yeah. But my, my faith was strong in that, not that I didn't have fear and didn't waver. 
But that was where my faith was at in, in my conversation twice a day with my wife. Is God's going to do this. God's going to do it at his speed. He never goes fast. And uh, I can see some of the things now that God was doing uh, that I didn't understand at the time. I believe there's much more to come that I don't know about. But I, I was sure I was in the will of God. I was sure I was doing what God wanted me to do. And this just became a plan I wasn't aware of. Brian Naren here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the ministry by going to acefnepal.org. Well, next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Darren Spoo, pastor of First Baptist Church of Tulsa, Oklahoma. He discussed with me some of the overarching themes of the scriptures, each of which he describes with one word, which he covers in the book, The Bible in Ten Words, Unlocking the Message of Scripture and Connecting with God. From that conversation, this is Darren Spoo now. The biggest obstacle that people have to the Bible, or the reason that they give me for for not reading the Bible and engaging more, is it, it's such an overwhelming book. I mean, you have 1,200 chapters, um, 31,000 verses in the Bible, 750,000 words. I mean, the Bible is just overwhelming. So, so as a pastor and teacher, I'm always trying to find ways to to make the Bible a little bit more approachable. And um, you know, I'm a lifelong student of the Scripture, but but just recently, a light bulb went on for me, uh, and, I, and I would even call it a serendipitous moment. I was visiting South Africa with my wife, and we were um, on uh, on a on a trip there, visiting some churches and pastors. And uh, you know, Bob, I don't know if you've ever seen the Southern Cross, but but you can see the Southern Cross from the Southern Hemisphere. You cannot see it from the Northern Hemisphere. So uh, I was privileged to see the Southern Cross for the first time and saw. A constellation of stars that I'd never seen before. And it just so happens at the same time, I, in my devotional time, I was reading through the first three chapters of Genesis. And in the same way I saw the Southern Cross, I started to see a constellation of words begin to align in the first three chapters of Genesis that I'd never seen before. And what I noticed about these words, these ten words that just kind of seemed to pop out to me, is that these ten words appear and reappear throughout the entire length of the Bible. And so I thought, you know, if we could take each one of those words one at a time, uh, and I, I imagine it kind of like, I know I'm mixing my metaphors here, but kind of pull on that thread a little bit and see how it weaves itself through the whole fabric of Scripture. And so I, I think each word of the ten words I've chosen has the capacity of, of telling the whole story of the Bible just through that one word. And that really is incredible when you think about it. You identified within the first three chapters of the book of Genesis these ten words, which, as you mentioned, occur over and over in the Scripture. Just you know, off the top of my head, what would you say would be the uh, the significance of that? You think? Well, and let me let me take something that that is as recent as today's news. Um, through this entire COVID nineteen crisis, you know, people have been dealing with being alone, and they've been sheltering in place at home, and a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid of of contracting a disease or losing their income, and alone and afraid are two of the words that I've chosen from uh, Genesis one through three. And so, uh, you know, you take that idea of alone. Uh, Adam was in the garden alone, and God said it is not good for a person to be alone. And so we begin to explore uh, what it means that, that we need other people. You know, God is all we need, but God is not all we want. We, we want to have community with other people. 
So to trace the concept of aloneness through the Scripture that takes us all the way from Adam and then ultimately to Jesus as he is alone on the cross, and there he bears the weight of, of isolation dealing with our sin. So just in that one word, uh, we capture a bit of not only of our creation, but also our salvation through Christ. Right at the beginning of the Bible, God's word, he said, let there be light. And if you would, please, just take us through how this concept of light is expressed from that verse in Genesis, again, all the way through the scriptures. Yeah. So, you know, that's the first thing God created. And and I think when, when God created light, he did more than just create physical light. And certainly he did that. But but I think what God also did in those moments is he created everything we know as reality. And, and to take that idea of, of that first creation of light and what did, what did humanity do? We, we corrupted things. We made things a lot darker than they needed to be. And that's where Jesus, the light of the world, uh, comes in. You know, he is the light. And, and then, of course, our job is, as Jesus followers is we ourselves are to, to mirror that light. We are to reflect that light. Um, and, and so for me, the, the entire uh, breadth of Scripture, uh, the narrative of Scripture is captured all the way from creation to the way we have corrupted things to our rescue and our restoration in Christ. Darren Spoo here on The Intersection. You can learn more through his Facebook page at Darren Spoo, S-P-O-O-1-7. The church's website is TulsaFBC.org. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. The podcast can be found in The Media Center. You can also subscribe free via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Conversations from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. The founder of the ministry called Kids Beach Club, Jack Terrell, visited with me recently to talk about the children's ministry that partners with local churches to share God's word in local schools and highlighted the Hang 10 program that helps expose children to the Bible during the summer months. From that conversation, this is Jack Terrell now. In their elementary school, they walk down the hall and they come into either a cafeteria, a library, a gym, but a large gathering place. And so once they get there, they're welcomed by uh, volunteers that that are there to greet these children, and then they walk right into uh, the beach club, uh, and and within that club, within that one-hour experience, there's five things we we really want to accomplish. Uh, One of those is they get a snack. The other one is they get an opportunity to, to memorize Scripture. Another part is worship. Children love to worship. Um, we know that children have a bent because Christ uh, is doing everything he can to draw these boys and girls in and to him of himself. So they have a bent toward worship. 
And so uh, boys and girls worship, and then we walk them into a story time. And in that story time, there's a lesson taught that leads to uh, what we call the ABCs, admit, uh, believe, and then choose to follow. And we want these boys and girls to understand that that's the core of what Jesus wants for them, is to admit they have sin, believe that Jesus is the only way to get to to God the Father through him, and that they can choose to follow him. So, And then we play, we wrap all this up in a really fun review game, so boys and girls are allowed to snack, worship, discover the Bible, memorize scripture, and then play a fun, fun game, uh, all within a one-hour format. So it goes by really quick, and it's all done right there in the elementary schools so that boys and girls leave their classroom, come straight to Beach Club, have a blast, get exposure to some amazing, amazing volunteers. And then, um, and so that's, that's the actual, uh, what happens during the course of the, um, you know, the one hour. Now, you and I know that COVID-19 hit mm. about a month and a half ago, and then everybody, you know, schools shut down, and then all these boys and girls were wanting to know, you know, what they could do. And then uh, Dave Crum, our media guy, he's just, incredibly talented he said well what if we took beach club to these boys and girls on video and so we actually brought in people in the area and we did six episodes of what we call beach club at home and it was it was it was hugely successful and i just can't thank uh, him enough for what he you know what he thought of and created and did and shot and videoed it was tremendous so the, but the whole COVID-19 hit, and the boys and girls are at home. And so it's good for us that almost 7,000 copies just this year alone have been passed out to boys and girls mm. uh, because they now have, a, they now have a, a tool that they can rely upon that speaks truth, Bob, right into their heart. And so it's just been a tremendous blessing for us to be able to help families in this way. Let's talk just a bit about this Hang 10 program. Now, I take it this is something that you've been doing through the uh, through the summer months for some time. This isn't just a, a COVID-19 response. No, that's correct. Very good. Correct. No, we've been doing Hang 10 for a number of years, and it has really taken on a new life of its own because, especially this year, yeah. because of families really needing to be able to find solutions, to be able to, you know, to have discussions with their, with their children. So we've been doing the, we've been doing Hang 10 for a number of years, and it has just been uh, a tremendous tool. And again, we simply want boys and girls to stay connected to their Bible uh, while they're at home during these summer months before they go to the next grade. And so the, the summer reading plan, Hang 10, hang, hanging out with God 10 minutes a day. Uh, it's simple. We also, in that course of time, we expose them not only to a reading plan, but then they're also able to read some of the characters, you know. So in these, in these, in this reading plan, we've really highlighted several, you know, key characters of, of God's champions that they can read about in their Bible and study uh, that, um, that would illuminate some things and some character uh, we pray would then, you know, be led into their own individual walk and into their own life. And so it's important that we give these boys and girls truth 
that can only be found in God's Word, and that they can hold on to those truths. Jack Terrell here on The Intersection. Find out more about the ministry by going to kidsbeachclub.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Brian Gibson, pastor of his church with locations in Kentucky and Texas. He is also the founder of the Peaceably Gather Movement. In our conversation, he discussed his views on and experience with government restrictions on church activities and how churches closed during the COVID-19 pandemic are attempting to reopen for in-person worship. Here now is Brian Gibson. Well, on Texas, we had a total green light. Sure. So so that wasn't the issue. Uh, the issue was in Kentucky with Governor Bashir, And so with, with Bashir, he said, you can't go back till the 20th. I already defied him. Uh, after the Easter egg deal, I did a, he said you couldn't pass anything out. Every other drive through facility could pass stuff out. I said, no, the governor's not telling me when I can and can't distribute the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, to my people. So I organized a parking lot, socially distanced communion service, and our church came together in Kentucky smartly, safely. We called the press. We called everybody. I said, I'm going to do this. If you don't like it, they can come arrest me. Here I am. Um and we, we, we had the Lord's table together, and it was, it was special. Um, so we'd done that once, and he said we couldn't go back to the 20th. Now, a friend of mine, uh, Kelly Shackelford, uh, with the Liberty Institute, uh, he'd already won. His team had won a battle in the meantime after we launched to get a restraining order. And by a federal judge, the governor's uh, executive order was deemed that it wasn't constitutional. So— Bashir was already defeated when we walked up on that 17th day, but our church was prepared to do it for, I don't know, weeks in advance before that happened. Uh, This weekend, so we're just willing, if we're calling pastors to put their neck on the line, I'm not the kind of man that's not going to put my neck on the line with them. It's not fair. You can't call people to do what you're not willing to do. This weekend, I went to Chicago, went to Illinois. Uh, The the protocol in Illinois— has been so egregious. Yes. And and so what I would call demonic and so uh, driven against the church and un-American is I went to stand with our brothers at, at Elam Romanian Pentecostal Church, and they seem to be one of the most targeted churches in America. Now, these men and women are Romanian. They came out of, of, of uh, persecution. They were a nation that had a First Amendment and 800 communists turn their country over using similar strategies we see right now. These men uh, have seen this before, seen it again, and they're, they're the sweetest, kindest, most gentle people with the greatest precautions I've ever seen in a church. It was an honor to be there with Pastor Christian, is his name, the, the, the man of God that leads that congregation. I'll tell you, if I was there, I think I'd just learn Romanian and go to his church. I was so impressed <laughs> with him. Uh, I'm like, why am I preaching if this man of God is here, right? Because he's a general. And the mayor of Chicago even pulled up something they call abatement. Okay, I was sitting with an attorney. I didn't know what that means. What is abatement? Like they're threatening with abatement. The attorney sitting beside me also did not know what abatement was because it was such an archaic legal term. But what it means is if we deem you a public nuisance, we can come shut down your church, tear it down, without due process, tear your church hmm. to the ground. And and she's threatened that. She's also threatening a tracing program now 
where the police are going to watch you or whoever they're hiring are going to watch you. And if people go to church in the city of Chicago, even with social distancing, you could get a knock on your door now. She's made these statements where you could be forced to quarantine for worshiping. This is not China. This is not Vietnam. This is not the Middle East where, where Christians are, are persecuted. This is not, this is not the, uh, the uh, uh, strictly radical Muslim-controlled parts of Africa. This is the United States of America. When did we allow people to persecute Christians like this? Now, I'll tell you, I think it's time for, for Christians all over. Go to peaceablygather.com. If you're a clergy uh, and you want to join the movement, you can sign up on that page. If you're a parishioner and uh, you want to stand with us, and you want to say, I'm going back to church, you ought to get on there. There's a place you can sign up. Also, I, I've got to say this. We, we have spent – this came out of all of our own pockets, me and some friends. And it seems like America was waiting for somebody to lead. And it's not just me. There's a lot of other men like me. But I, my message is to you out there, Christian leaders, it doesn't matter how small or large or what you think you are. I'm telling you what, if God breathes on what you're doing, you can, you can take the glory of God from coast to coast. Brian Gibson here on The Intersection. The website address is peaceablygather.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Ryan Tucker, Senior Counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom and Director of the Center for Christian Ministries at ADF. In our recent conversation, he reported on a variety of cases in which the organization has been involved defending religious liberty on behalf of churches in light of COVID-19 restrictions. Here now is Ryan Tucker. The first case that we had involving a request to meet in person was in Kansas, and we had a couple independent or Baptist churches actually up in uh, some rural parts of Kansas that said, look, um, the governor's order, you know, basically singles us out and is treating us uh, differently um, than, than others. And so we looked at that and said, you know, you're right, there are serious constitutional issues here. So we ended up filing a lawsuit uh, on their behalf. There were two churches. And uh, the governor, right after we filed that lawsuit, um, changed her executive order within literally like one or two hours. And the implication was, oh, don't worry, we're going to change it. You guys are going to be good. Well, she changed it, but that wasn't nearly um, acceptable. And as we've seen in other states, sometimes when they change these orders, they've actually made them worse. But regardless, in that situation, we um, uh, looked at that order uh, and determined again that the second order was just as bad as the other one and eventually led to a hearing before the trial court in Kansas who issued a very favorable uh, decision uh, in our favor. And so that was the first victory nationwide in the uh, in-person space. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, can be uh, seen as a model for, you know, churches that, again, want to open in a prudent fashion. We're not certainly advocating uh uh, you know, anything that it would be uh, perceived to be in an unsafe or, um, you know, imprudent manner. And so uh, there, like I mentioned, this other, these other churches in Oregon and Washington and uh, Nevada, uh, that church um, came to us and actually presented to the court a long list of, of safety protocols that they wanted to put in, in place to protect the flock. And so the court saw that, was very appreciative of it, and, and ruled in our favor. And our hope is that, just like we won in Kansas, we hope to 
um, you know, apply uh, a lot of the same similar principles in our cases that are pending uh, in the western states. How far does religious liberty extend here in these cases of churches reopening after the COVID-19 crisis? Sure. Well, you know, as Attorney General Barr himself said in, in relation to the, our, 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 the, the Mississippi case that I mentioned, and in fact, the U.S. Justice Department got involved in that, you know, your, your, your First Amendment, your fundamental freedoms um, are not extinguished during times of crisis or even in a pandemic like this. And so um, you still have them. The church still has them. Uh, the question is, you know, to what extent does the fact that, you know, governments also have a responsibility to um, to provide uh, protection and, and, you know, take care of, um, you know, its citizens and, and, and a, in a pandemic as well. And so you have these two um, principles that, 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 at least in this instance, are, 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 are colliding. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to treat everyone uh, the same, to, to impose the same sort of restrictions, you know, upon others. But when you look at situations like Nevada where, you know, casinos are open and most churches are closed, when religion is not just simply, you know, it, it, it actually, uh, you know, uh, in, our, in our Constitution, in our uh, founding principles, it has a, a higher um, level or should be viewed in a, in a much higher context than even um, what, what some of these courts are looking at as secular comparisons. But even if you look at it just on an equal playing field, which again is, I think, too low, but if you were just to compare it to, you know, the mall, the movie theater, to something else, why is it that those are opening up in some jurisdictions or even restaurants or bars or, you know, liquor stores? And why are those opening up, but yet the church isn't? And that question, that rhetorical question that your listeners may be asking is also a constitutional issue because it's, an, it's a, a violation of your free exercise rights. And uh, while the, the, the analysis in many instances uh, or some instances can be, can be complex, um, there's still been a number of courts that uh, have, have, have gotten those, uh, that analysis uh, correct. And we've certainly been um, you know, blessed by, by having been involved in those. But we're hopeful, too, that in the cases we're currently litigating, that as they make their way, uh, if they have to, Hopefully they don't. But if they if they make their way, um, uh, you know, uh, further, or somebody else has a case that makes its way to the U.S. Supreme Court, that uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, when given an opportunity to look at a case with a, a, a more fully developed record, will will make that same determination as well. Ryan Tucker here on the intersection. You can find out more by going to adflegal.org. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. You can find The Intersection Podcast in the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Conversations from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. 
Learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the Meeting House homepage through the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.